This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Today we're going to be studying in the book of Daniel in chapter 3 about the fiery furnace. You've been called before the judge and accused of breaking a law that calls for the death penalty. You know in your heart that you did break that law. But if you had obeyed that law of the land, you would have broken God's law. But the judge is willing to give you another chance. You have another opportunity to obey the law, and nothing will be done to you. However, if you refuse to obey that law again, you will be put to death. What do you do? Do you spare your life by obeying that law of the land? Or do you lose your life for obeying God? This is a predicament that three young Jewish men found themselves in just a little over 2,500 years ago. In Daniel chapter 3 and in verse 1, Daniel chapter 3 verse 1 we see Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. Daniel chapter 3 verse 1. It says Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. When we look at the dimensions of this, again, if we use the length of a cubit as 18 inches, that means the height of it there says it is three score cubits. Three score would be 60. So that would make that image 90 feet tall and then nine feet wide, the breadth thereof. He set it up in the plains of Dura. Dura was northwest there of the city of Babylon, those plains were. Now this probably takes place after the wars with Syria and Palestine, and about 19 years after the dream that we read about in Daniel chapter 2. If we look in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4, Isaiah chapter 14, verse 4. It says here that thou shalt take up this proverb against the city of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased? The golden city hath ceased. The golden city. I want to read to you from Halley's Bible Handbook and then something by Herodotus or about Herodotus. In Halley's Bible Handbook, it says the great temple of Marduk, which is Bel, their god, their main god, adjoining the Tower of Babylon was the most renowned sanctuary in all the Euphrates Valley. It contained a golden image of Bel and a golden table, which, weighed, which together weighed not less than 50,000 pounds. At the top were golden images of Bel and Ishtar, two golden lions, a golden table 40 feet long and 15 feet wide and a human figure of solid gold, 18 feet high. 
That is the quote from Halley's Bible Handbook. Now Herodotus, who lived from somewhere around 484 B.C., and then he died in 525 B.C., is known as the father of history. He traveled to Babylon during that time. While he was there, he wrote this, and I quote, There is a second temple in which is a sitting figure of Jupiter, all of gold. Before the figure stands a large golden table, and the throne whereon it sits, and the base on which the throne is placed are likewise of gold. The Chaldeans told me that all the gold together was 800 talents weight. Outside the temple were two altars, one of solid gold, on which it is only lawful to offer sucklings, the other a common altar, but of great size, on which the full-grown animals are sacrificed. In the time of Cyrus there was likewise in this temple the figure of a man twelve cubits high, entirely of gold." Unquote. So again, Nebuchadnezzar's golden image is not going to be something unusual there, because we saw in Isaiah 14.4 it is known, Babylon is known, as the golden city. Now in Daniel chapter two, uh, 3 verses 2 through 7, we see Nebuchadnezzar's decree. Daniel chapter 3, verses 2 through 7. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the judges, and the treasurers, and the counselors, and the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at the time ye hear the sound of the cornet, or cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. In verse 6, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations and the languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. No one in the whole kingdom was ex exempt from obeying that command. There are questions as to why, where was Daniel at during this time? He apparently was not present. He may have been traveling somewhere or something like that, but apparently he was not there. Now, to the pagans in Babylon and the pagan nations that Babylon had conquered, this would be no great deal. They're used to worshiping false gods. But to the devout Jew, this would be a great test of faith.
The Assyrians and Babylonians were known for their cruel punishments. The Assyrians, for example, would take hooks and put them in the jaws of their captives and lead them. They would skin some alive. They would make piles of skulls and on and on you could go. But they did these things to cause their enemies to fear. But that's how cruel of a people they were. Chardin traveled in Persia from, now this is A.D., 1671 to 1677. He noted the two furnace of fire were kept burning for a month for consuming those who overcharged for food. The cooks were roasted over a slow fire, and the bakers cast into a burning oven. That just shows that things had not changed from the time of Nebuchadnezzar. When we look in Jeremiah 29, we're going to read verses 20 to 22. Jeremiah 29, verses 20 to 22. And this is Jeremiah writing to those that are in Babylonian captivity. He says, Hear ye therefore the word of the Lord, all ye of the captivity, whom I have sent from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, of Ahab, the son of Coliah, and of Zedekiah, the son of Maasiah, which prophesy a lie unto you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. And now verse 22. And of them shall be taken up a curse by all the captivity of Judah, which are in Babylon, saying, The Lord make thee like Zedekiah and like Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. A slow, scorching death. So things had not changed from the time of Nebuchadnezzar to the time that Chardin went to Persia. They were still roasting people in the fire. And everyone was commanded to do that. But in Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, there's an accusation that is made against the Jews. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. <clears throat> says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree <clears throat> that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They have not or they serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they make an accusation. The word accusation is translated from an Aramaic word that means, and this is Brown Driver Briggs' definition, literally to eat the morsels of, 
to eat the rent limbs of or figuratively to chew up by slander. They were slandering the Jews and they used flattery on the king. O king, live forever. They're flattering him. They're buttering him up. And then they make three charges against these Jews. Charge number one. They've not regarded you, even though you gave them places of prominence. Charge number two, those Jews don't serve your gods. Charge number three, those Jews didn't fall down and worship the image, and therefore they're disloyal. They have, they're not loyal to you, Nebuchadnezzar. So these are the charges that are made. Well, Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance in Daniel 3, 13 to 15. Daniel 3, 13 to 15. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. You know, we stop right there. He is in a rage. He is furious with these three men. Now verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Verse 15. Now if you be ready, at the time, or that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. He says, well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? <clears throat> they have a choice. First of all, he says, did you purposely not obey my commands? Well, just in case, have another chance. I'm going to give you another chance. And you might as well <clears throat> worship because there's no God that can deliver you out of my hands, Nebuchadnezzar said. You know, Satan always gives us another chance to disobey God. He always does. We may overcome once, but Satan is always there with a second chance. He's not going to let us get away without trying something again, is he? He's always there. You know, it's, it's just a single act. It could be done in a minute, and you can repent later. Sure, you can repent later. You can do that whenever. Well, you can spare yourself now and do good later. Look at all the good that you can do if you're alive. All these things like that. But you know, God commanded in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5, 
Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Again, Satan will always give us another chance. Did you really not intend to go to that party? Look at all the fun you could have had. You know what? They're going to be doing it again next weekend. There's another chance to disobey God. They may have gotten into sex and alcohol and drugs and stealing. Satan just tells us to get into anything we want to. It's only a single act. It can be done in a moment. You can repent later, but have fun now. And you know, sin is pleasurable for a short time. Whenever you go to Hebrews chapter 11, Looking there at Moses, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, beginning. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. If sin wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. Did you really intend to say that there's no Christians or faithful Christians in the denominational world? You know that's going to offend people. People are going to get mad about that. You know, you can apologize for that statement and you can be popular or you can stand by it and be ridiculed. You see, we face those kinds of situations every day in our lives. And we need to make the right decision. Go back and look back in history at our brethren under the Roman rule. From the time of Nero till the time of Domitian till the time whenever Christianity was finally made a legal religion or accepted. Our brethren were told to deny Christ, pronounce Caesar as a god, and live. But if they did not deny Christ, they would be put to death. Decius Trajan, this is just one example. He reigned from 249 to 251 A.D. there in Rome. It says of him, he was an earnest and energetic emperor in whom the old Roman spirit once more awoke, resolved to root out the church as an atheistic and seditious sect, and in the year 250 published an edict to all the governors and the pro of the provinces enjoining return to the pagan state religion under the heaviest penalties. 
the confessors of Rome wrote from prison to their brethren in Africa. And this is what those who were about to be put to death were saying. And I quote from them. What more glorious and blessed lot can fall to a man by the grace of God than to confess God the Lord against, amidst tortures and in the face of death itself to confess Christ the Son of God with lacerated body and with a spirit departing yet free and to become fellow sufferers with Christ in the name of Christ. Though we have not yet shed our blood, we are ready to do so. Pray for us then, dear Cyprian, that the Lord, the best captain, would daily strengthen each of us more and more, and at last lead us to the field as faithful soldiers, armed with those divine weapons which can never be conquered." Unquote. That's from the History of the Christian Church, Volume 2. They were told, you renounce Christ and live. You confess Christ and die. They found that as a great honor. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would find that as a great honor to sacrifice themselves for the cause of God. And we face those situations every day of our lives again. What are we going to do? Are we going to cower away and go along with the world or are we going to be courageous and stand up for God? Well, that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. They made the right choice. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read verses 16 through 18. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they said, we're, we're not anxious about answering you. We have the answer. We're not going to worship thy gods. We're not going to worship your golden image. God is going to take us out of your hand. If he delivers us from the burning fiery furnace, he's taking us out of your hand. If he allows us to die in that burning fiery furnace, he's taking us out of your hand. You have absolutely no control over us, Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what we need to be saying to Satan. You have absolutely no control over us. We're going to control ourselves by the word of God. Whenever we're tempted to go out and tempted to commit fornication, we're going to overcome that temptation. And then we're going to overcome it again. And we're going to overcome it again. Whenever we have temptation to take the alcohol or the drugs, we're going to overcome that temptation. We're going to overcome it every time. Whatever the sin may be, we need to make the right decision 
and not be a coward and commit the sin? Is our faith strong enough to trust God in the face of death? Sure it is, we say. But is our faith great enough to trust God in the face of our friends and family? See, there's where it is for us right now. Are we willing to face the ridicule of our family and friends? Are we willing to face their anger, their discouragement of us, their slander of us? Are we willing to face that and still trust God and obey God? You know there's consequences for obeying God. We will face man's fury. As we've been looking at Daniel three nineteen and twenty, Daniel three, nineteen and twenty. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In other words, he was looking upon them with favor. Now he is looking upon them with fury and anger, and he wants them dead. He wants them dead. Beginning there again in verse 19. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. In other words, that furnace was seven times hotter. He goes, I want them to die because they're not obeying me. They were facing the wrath of man. Now verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. He wanted them to have no means of escape. The mightiest men of his army were tied them up and they were going to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. That's one of the consequences of facing, of obeying God, and we're facing man's fury. Every word and every action that Nebuchadnezzar did was to show how great he was in power. But what he really showed was how weak and impotent he was when Jehovah got through with him. Well, men will try to carry out their evil deeds toward us, and they do it to their own ruin. Daniel three, twenty-one to 23. Daniel three, twenty-one to 23. Then those men were bound, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in their coats, their hosen, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Fully clothed, everything on them, tied up, cast into this furnace that was heated up seven times hotter than normal. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. What do you think Nebuchadnezzar expected to happen here? He expected them to be crying out in excruciating pain and dying. A horrible death. 
though what we endure, or through, excuse me, what we endure, we can be great examples of faith for others. And that's what these three men were. They didn't care if Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fiery furnace as far as it came to obeying God. They were going to obey God. They were not going to disobey the one that created them, the one that loved them, the one who afterwards would send a Savior into the world so their sins could be forgiven. In Daniel 3, 24 through 27, we read this. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. Astonished would be a good word for us today. And rose up in haste and spoke and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Now wait a minute. Why is Nebuchadnezzar so astonished here? What's taking place? He rose up in haste and he said, we threw three men in there bound, right? And they said, yes, we did. Verse 25, he entered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth, the King James Version says, is like the Son of God. The American Standard Version says, is like a son of the gods. He says, we, we threw three men in there, and they were bound. But I see four, and they're walking around. They're not bound anymore. They're walking around in the midst of the fire, and one of them looks like a son of the gods. What's happening? Verse 26. Verse 27, oh, excuse me, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace. You know what? I skipped verse 22 because I don't want to forget that one. It says, Therefore, because the king command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how hot the fire was. Nebuchadnezzar didn't come as close as they did when he came near in verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. Now verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these three men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed nor were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. The only thing that burned up was what they bound them with. Nothing else was harmed. Nothing else was harmed. 
and they didn't even have the smell of a fire on them. Going back to the history of the Christian church, I want to read to you another quote. The long and bloody war of heathen Rome against the church, which is built upon a rock, utterly failed. It began in Rome under Nero. It ended near Rome at the Milvian Bridge under Constantine. Aiming to exterminate, it purified. It called forth the virtues of Christian heroism and resulted in the consolidation and triumph of the new religion. The philosophy of persecution is best expressed by the terse word of Tertullian, who lived in the midst of them, but did not see the end. And this is what Tertullian said. The blood of the Christians is the seed of the church. Unquote from Tertullian, and unquote from the quote from the history of the Christian church. The blood of the seed, uh, excuse me, the blood of the Christians is the seed of the church. Those around them, those that were persecuting them, those that were watching, whether it would be in the Roman Colosseum where they were being put to death by animals and by other things, whether they were in Nero's garden being covered with tar and burned alive to light Nero's garden, whether they were killed by animals, killed by the sword, killed in the most cruel ways. Those around them saw what Jesus said in Matthew 5.16. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 where it says, Let your light so shine before men. They were shining their light that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They may have been lit as a torch, but that's not the light that the people were seeing. They were seeing these people so dedicated to the cause of Christ that they willingly offered up their lives to die for Christ. And that is what we need to be willing to do. We need to be willing to give up our lives we need to be willing to give up our families. We need to be willing to give up our friends for the cause of Christ. In Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, we want to begin reading there in verse 23. Jesus said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Denying self. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get. They, they, they denied self. They took up their faith and obedience to the law of Moses under which they lived. And they were willing to die for God. We must be willing to take up our cross. 
You know what it means to take up the cross? To those in the first century, second century, third century, taking up the cross meant you were on your way to an execution. You were going to die. In other words, what Jesus is saying, we are to die to ourselves daily. Die to self, live to God. We must live for God. Deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, then we can follow him. Now for those who, you know, those things that we were reading earlier, oh, you can just sin now and repent later. That's what the devil's saying. Well, Jesus said in verse 24 of Luke 9, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If we are a coward and we don't stand up for God, we're going to lose our soul. But if we stand up for God, we may be slandered. We may be ridiculed. We may be persecuted. But we will save our soul. Jesus said in verse 25, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? What good is it for you to gain your life, to gain things in this world, and then to be discarded on the day of judgment? To hear those words, Depart from me, ye which work iniquity, I never knew you. In verse 26, Whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Whenever we do not stand up for God, we're ashamed of him. We're ashamed of the name Christian. We're ashamed to be called after Christ. We're ashamed and we're a coward. And Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 tells us what will happen to those who are cowards, who are ashamed of Christ, who are ashamed of God. You know, we usually go to Revelation 21 and say, oh, you see there, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. Look at what's first but the fearful. They're fearful. The Greek word delos, which means dread, timid, or faithless. If we're ashamed of Christ, if we're ashamed of God, if we're ashamed of living the Christian life, we are faithless. And it says, continuing, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The fearful will have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those Christians that died under the hand of Rome, those faithful in the Old Testament who lived faithfully to God in spite of what was happening to them. They were not cowards. They were courageous. And they stood up for God. And God will deliver us. 
God will deliver us. In Daniel chapter 3, let's read verses 28 through 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve any god except their own god. I want to stop right there. There's a lot in that verse, is there not? Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is the only God. There is no other God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit make up the one Godhead. There are no others. There were none before. There will be none after. It says, who sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him. Do you have that much trust in God? Do you trust him that you're going to be able to go to heaven someday if you live faithfully now? Do you trust him that he's going to give you the opportunity every time we sin? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God gives us, every time we're tempted, excuse me, Every time we're tempted, God gives us a way of escape. But every time we sin, he is willing to forgive that sin if we'll confess that sin and repent it, 1 John 1, 7 through 10. But do you trust God? Those three men trusted God. Our first century brethren, second and third and fourth centuries there, they trusted God and they, sacri they, they yielded their bodies that's what he said here of them. They yielded their bodies to God. And isn't that what we're to do? Isn't that what it means to take up our cross daily and follow him? That they might not serve or worship any God except their own God. There are a lot of gods out there in this world. There's the God of pride, which really is the God of self. There's the God of power, the God of wealth, the God of sports, the God of whatever, the God of family. There are a lot of gods out there that people serve today, but there is only one God that will help us to get to heaven. And we need to yield our bodies to him. Now verse 29 Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. He witnessed it. He saw it. There are so many today, oh, we're witnessing for Christ or whatever. We can't witness for Christ. We didn't see Christ. Nebuchadnezzar saw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and that fourth individual. There are various ideas, Jesus Christ coming beforehand, an angel, whatever. But whoever it was, Nebuchadnezzar saw it. He was a witness. 
Now we can go back and read it and believe it, but we can't witness for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego like Nebuchadnezzar could. We haven't seen Christ. We can't witness for him. All we do is convey the word to others. And he said, if you speak anything against God, which God has already said that, they're going to be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made a dunghill or an outhouse. And there's no other God that can live after that sort. And he's right because there is no other God. He's right. Now verse 30, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted them. God completely cared for and provided for those men because they completely yielded themselves to him. Again, that was a miracle. We read several things about our brethren under Roman rule. You know, there were no miracles taking place whenever you know, after the last after the last apostle died, which was John, there was no way for those miracles to be passed on. There were no miracles taking place whenever they were thrown into the Colosseum and eaten by animals, killed by animals, killed by others. There were no miracles taking place whenever they died. But they didn't care. All they did was offer themselves to God willingly. You remember we read earlier that it was a glorious and blessed lot that can fall to man by the grace of God. And that is to confess God the Lord amidst and in the face of death itself to confess Christ the Son of God with lacerated body and with spirit departing yet free. In the account of the fiery furnace, we see number one, the futility of man trying to stand up against God. Man can't do it. God is in control man can't stand up against God. Secondly, we see the faithfulness of those who are obedient to God. Their faithfulness. Faithfulness may cost us our life. Faithfulness may cost us our job. Faithfulness may cost us our family and friends. But being faithful to God, we must. And then thirdly, we see God's deliverance of those who remain faithful even in the face of certain death. In Revelation chapter 14, look at verse 13. Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. John writes, And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. A time of rest. You know, we're not going to escape the fires and persecution of this life. 
Paul said very plainly in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But we can escape the fires of the second death that we read about earlier, those fires of hell, if we remain faithful. God will give us eternal life if we are faithful to him like three Jewish young men were about 2,500 years ago by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, this is Don Boyd with the Blue Springs Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today. Look forward to being with you next time whenever we study in Daniel chapter 4, which will be the theme of learning humility the hard way. Daniel chapter 4. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Wave Media by visiting us at BibleWaveMedia.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you for listening.